Hello and welcome to If Not Now Then When, the podcast. I'm Rachel Hymas, the founder, and I'm also your host today. And I'm so excited to be sharing with you the second Perception podcast. This series has a little twist on the one so far, and it contains four podcasts, all based around a topic that surrounds the idea of perception. This episode focuses on the power of mentoring and giving back. And I'm so excited to announce that my guest will be Katie Greenier, who's creative director at Pentland Brands. Pentland Brands is the name behind some of the world's best sports, outdoor and lifestyle brands. They own Speedo, Berghaus, Endura, LS, Red or Dead, Kickers and Mitre, just to name a few. Perception is the ability to see, hear or become aware of something. Through her humble nature, Katie was able to acknowledge her own mentors and in doing so has selflessly dedicated a large portion of her own career to sharing her expertise with others and she really is a true inspiration. I feel so privileged that I can see our brands on the street every day and I feel very proud in that. Mm. So when someone that didn't even realise that they could do a job in the creative industries, that gives me great pleasure. This series also aims to spread awareness about a charity that is close to the heart of the guest. And as a trustee, Katie has decided to raise awareness for the National Saturday Club, an independent charity that gives 13 to 16 year olds the opportunity to study subjects that they love for free. Over the past 10 years, this powerful national movement has engaged more than 8,000 young people across the UK. And the aim is to develop young people's skills and encourage their creativity. Before I forget, please note that this was recorded prior to the recent lockdown measures. On to the podcast. So um, hello and welcome back to If Not Now Then When, uh, the podcast. And here I'm with Katie Greenier, who to be honest, has been a real support of If Not Now Then When for quite some time. She was, uh, for people who attended the events, she was actually one of the speakers a little while ago, which was amazing. And thankfully, she has said that she would like to get back involved and to be part of the podcast series. So hello to Katie. Hello. Um, so today, I'm actually drinking a Diet Coke because uh, I've actually had quite a lot of caffeine today. Um, what are you having? I'm having a cup of tea and a Lotus biscuit. We've actually also had a, a slice of cake as well. I had a chocolate Guinness cake slice and actually I had three tiny slices um, of cake but they were huge yeah they were they were massive and uh, I really I kind of had one and then just went to town on it basically um, so anyone who is new to listening to the podcast um, it's quite simple really the whole concept is about uplifting you to believe that your aspirations are attainable and to be honest I'm quite similar to you guys who are listening in that I'm in awe really of Katie's background and what she's achieved and um, how I'm going to structure is basically with five key questions which uh, begin with if not now then and when so the first question for you Katie is um, if you could summarize your career how would you describe it and I know that that's an incredibly large question but the intention for me is to kind of the people listening obviously see the amazing things that you've achieved so far and I would love to know actually how you kind of began and, and whether or not you always knew what you wanted to be doing now um, so just a bit about the kind of progression to get to this point would be amazing so I always knew what I wanted to do oh really okay that's so quite different my mum always said that I was a crazy quirky child <laughs> and we used to go on holiday to Wales and uh, I would always buy a Welsh hat 
and wear it the whole time and it had turned like grey through through mud and I wouldn't take the Welsh hat off nice and I always knew that I wanted to be a designer I was really really lucky because my dad Frankie Fraser uh, was a graphic designer oh right and in the days before Apple Macs and computers and He's an absolute stickler for a font. Oh, cool, and nice. And for typesetting. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, I was brought up underneath his drawing board, basically, in our yeah. lounge. And I watched everything that he did. And I wanted to be him. Oh. And one day, I was playing on his drawing board with the ruler. Yeah. And the scalpel. Yeah. And I dropped the scalpel into my leg. <laughs> and cut a chunk of my leg out, which I can still got the scar. Oh my god, no way. So Katie is just showing me the scar. Oh my god, that is quite big. And my dad said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I just want to be you. I want to be a designer. And he said <laughs> By to me... By etching it into your skin. I'm oh, surprised you didn't become a tattoo artist. <laughs> well, there was, it was a chunk that came out. Mm. And he said... If you want to be me, you have to learn how to use the tools properly. Oh, wow, okay. And you have to train to use the tools. It doesn't just happen. Mm. And from that day on, I was like, I'm going to train. I'm going I'm to learn the art. Yeah. I didn't know exactly what sort of designer I wanted to be, but I knew that I wanted to draw, colour, stick, create, yeah, make, yeah, you know, yeah. and I didn't know what form that would take. Yeah. And I did a um, like finance, a foundation at um, North East Essex School of Art and Design, which oh, is in Colchester. Oh, nice, nice. And when I did so is that... is that where you're from originally then? Yeah, I'm from yeah. Colchester in Essex. Nice, very nice. One of the best counties. <laughs> I know that people will we'll say disagree. Nottingham, sure, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I then was able to sort of see how you put that into practice you know yeah. what the different things are so if you want to do ceramics or graphics or fine art or textiles and it just sort of opened my brain to what you could do all the creativity. options that were available to you yeah so then I did that and then I got in a I got in at Liverpool School of Art nice and I bloody loved it amazing like everything that I could ever dream of I mean Liverpool was fabulous anyway at that time because it was edgy it would just come out of the whole like late 80s the Toxteth riots yeah um, many people would say very scary and I know that Jackie my mum didn't want to leave me there when oh. she <laughs> waved goodbye and in my bed sitting in Toxteth um, which I got burgled seven times and got shot at um, <laughs> yeah but, oh <laughs> but, but in terms of the atmosphere of a city, Liverpool is incredible. Mm. And it was like a melting pot of just different sort of turbulence, but also just, you know, everything from like the dance scene and cream. And Did you have summer. at that point that you knew what kind of creative you wanted to be? Or did you go to Liverpool and it almost opened your mind to even more things that you could have been or inspired by, but you still had that direct idea that you wanted to be in the industry that you're in now? I think that it opened my mind that if you have an, a creative mind and an overview of great aesthetics, you can put your art to anything. Mm. And I think, I think that's really true. People were really pigeonholed yeah. in terms of oh well, um, 
you know, you're an interior designer, you can only, you trained as an interior designer, you will only ever be an t- interior designer, or you trained as this, or yeah, as that. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I think that for me, having had my dad as a graphic designer and being really like particular about fonts, and yeah. then going to art school and doing fine art printed textiles, and then sort of just seeing layering and just, just different influences from anywhere yeah. and different aesthetics yeah. I actually realized and this is all without a mac yeah and <laughs> um, that you could you could actually make anything and yeah. it could be generated depending on scale color texture into anything and I think for me that was the sort of Liverpool was that um what was like experimental part of my life in terms of what I could be and what it could what my career could be that's actually what um so I've spoken to a lot of creatives who are based in Berlin and at the moment I feel like that is what that city is like in that the rent in regard in comparison to like London for example is like a third and actually it allows people to have that flex to test things and to be able to fail without losing your home and I think that kind of ability to almost meet all of these really cool people or like be influenced by a musician you've been to a an event or um, all of these things actually for example like your dad being a graphic designer maybe even at the time you probably weren't even aware of it or maybe you were but it probably makes you think about every little detail and actually the fact that the font represents the brand of what you're trying to portray or um, I, to be honest, I guess I studied architecture and I love the whole concept that I actually didn't end up becoming an architect, but I love and really appreciate the craft of that. Um, and like you were saying, it's interesting to be influenced by different types of creative design in general, I think. But I think it's about for me learning a skill you know yeah. actually a craft but being able to sort of multi-layer that over different different aesthetics and mm. different sort of career options and I think then what happened was the Mac almost when that came in it almost <laughs> put another dimension in um, but I think growing up with without a Mac without the te- that technology apart from really a photocopier mm. and paint and ink was really good for me and um so, yeah, so I went to Liverpool and then I set, set up my own business called Squinty Totty. Oh, really? And I, I didn't got know a, this. I got a grant from the Princess Youth Business Trust and I started working, I shared a studio with my dad in Colchester and I started working across all different projects. Um, so, the one thing I'm really terrible at is money <laughs> and that's getting it in and when I have got it in, sort of spending it. <laughs> Um, I mean, I feel like if you're interested in like fashion and stuff, my God, honestly, I feel like the moment that you have any, you're like, oh God, I want to do this. Well, it was just even just like asking for money for something that I enjoy doing. Mm, yes, yes, as well. which I think as a creative is very hard to put value on your skill sets. I think. Uh, I mean, even personally, I find that quite difficult as well. Um, but that's amazing that you set up your own business so early, actually, because you probably, and also with your dad, because you probably learn a lot from him in terms of like, actually, because I think a lot of the time people have the idea of setting up a business, but then actually the business acumen that comes with it alongside being this creative person is probably where the difference lies maybe between 
doing well and maybe not so. I think the thing, it was, my dad sort of just was a, a guiding light, really. And I suppose Jackie, my mum, she always um, said, why don't you be a PA? Why don't you go to secretarial school? Why don't you, you know, and like your dad's never works from nine to five. He's mm. always late. His dinner's always in the dog. You know, he, he's you know, he's unreliable. He's like, yeah. if he gets an idea in his brain, he he won't be home. And I think my mum was like really worried about that career choice. But I always wanted I wanted that sort of life. I wanted mm. a life where I was I was driven by a deadline, not by the working hour of a, you know, office opening time. And actually the passion, you know, because actually you spend more than half of your life in the office or not necessarily nowadays, but, you know, working. And actually I I'm so so unbelievably happy about the fact that actually I spend my working life doing things that I absolutely love maybe every day is maybe I don't love every second of it but I think that's so powerful actually that it kind of was that much of a desire in your mind that it just was not an issue Um, there was no point in my time that my whole career that it wasn't something that I've mm. ever not wanted to do I've always wanted to do it mm. and um, so you studied at Liverpool and then you set up your own business yeah went, moved back to Colchester because I didn't have the finance to set, have rent and so I was like squatting with my dad really <laughs> I'm sure he'll say I was squatting <laughs> uh, and then I just started getting commissions I wrote to different people and again there was no email address then. It had to be a letter. Yeah. And I put a pack together with my work and I would write a letter saying, introducing myself. These are examples of my work. Um, I will uh, telephone, I will call you in the next couple of days to see if you're interested. And I just kept on sending out packs after mm. packs after packs. I had a grant from the, youth, the Princess Youth Business Trust and I also won something called Text select which was enabled me to have a stand yeah so I went I traveled around and sort of did lots of trade shows and showed my work so started getting commissions for like Mistral which was sportswear and um Benny on Jigsaw uh, next and then I got a commission from Vivian Westwood and that is amazing I just I started doing Westwood. I just started doing more and more prints yeah and it people would brief me in and I would deliver their print and um, or whatever it was, their graphics. And then my brother bought home this magazine and it had Red or Dead in. Mm-hmm. And I totally fell in love with Wayne Hemingway, Geraldine and just their whole aesthetic and like the maverick, just the way that the company worked. And yeah. so I basically took myself to Wembley, um, stalked Wayne Hemingway. Nice. And he told me to sort of bugger off but <laughs> I didn't and then we before I knew it I was sort of I'd wedged my way in there and um, I was designing the sort of Mad in England collection nice. and all the prints and graphics. I'd like to kind of go back to the the stalking Wayne section because I think this is quite interesting because the whole concept actually of uh, just expecting things to happen and maybe contacting someone once not getting a response it's a little bit embarrassing but actually I love that you were so driven with the desire to work with that brand or for that company or in that industry or whatever it may be but actually that you literally kept on until you got in there because I I think that's really powerful as well because I think not that many people will I think for me even 
sometimes you're too embarrassed and think, oh God, I must be pestering, or oh, that's really annoying. And maybe sometimes you are, and actually they really don't want to talk to you at all. But I think uh, I'd love to know whether or not it was almost in your mind that you thought, I'm literally not going to stop until I get in with this company and kind of how you continued with that passion in your mind. Because I think a lot of the time you lose traction with that type of stuff if you get a no too many times. I had got loads of no's. Mm. And I think that's where it's. it took me like 20 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> you know, that's that whole... I had so many rejections yeah. and so many no's. And so I made so many phone calls mm. and nothing was instant. Yeah. There was no instant gratification. Yeah. And even when I had done a piece of work, I rarely got paid on time in full. Yeah. And everything was difficult. Yeah. And nothing is easy. Yeah. And I still don't think everything, nothing is still, is still easy. Yeah. I think if you think this is an easy, easy career, then you are really misguided. But it's incredible that actually, when you get to that point, how good that feels, you yeah. know? So it um, is like breaking, it was it was a, so with Wayne, I had sort of stalked him by his car. He had told me to, actually? yeah. He was coming out of the office <laughs> oh, and then God. he said, we're looking for people that are mad in England. If right. you think you're great, then find me people. Nice. I think it was a flippant throwaway comment, mm-hmm. and I was then just left in a like a yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah as he drove off and sort of nearly reversed over me. No, he didn't. <laughs> but like that's how I felt. Yeah. And um, I had like twenty quid, and I went to Oxford Street, and I came up. But there's the tube and there used to be a man stood there that had a sign that said less passion for less protein less fish chips peas and you must be a virgin on your wedding night <laughs> and I thought oh my god he's quite mad so I bought his 12p booklet I took okay. some photographs of him I then waited for the 10 pound boots uh, speedy um, service yeah and went back to Wayne and sat outside his office and said uh, which was in Wembley and said, uh, I think I found someone that's mad in England. <laughs> and I sort of showed him the photographs and he said, you better come in. Oh, wow. Okay. And that's basically how my Red or Dead career started. Nice. And then I was like freelance and whenever there was sort of a print brief or a graphic brief. So you're or, freelance for Red or Dead then? Yeah. yeah. So it was sort of my under my squinty totty umbrella. Yeah, okay. But then I just thought, right, how do I get myself more customers? Yeah. So I then wrote to loads of designers in Paris yeah. and said, I will be at your studio on this time at this date. If it's inconvenient, please telephone and let me know. And nice. I basically got on a bus, a, a Saga bus. For those who don't know, it's an over 50s bus. <laughs> Uh, but it was a £79 <laughs> week uh, trip. Well, I've been on a bus to, uh, bus to Paris before and, <laughs> and it's, it's uh, long. It's long. And but it's cheap. <laughs> it's cheap. And the hotel was not in the centre of Paris. No. And I was on the bus with probably 48 other um, OAPs. Nice. But I loved them. Yeah. And they looked after me and they helped me rob breakfast from the hotel in the morning. <laughs> And they made the coach driver drop me off at my first appointment. Oh, and so, that's so it was nice. the best, best trip ever. Yeah. And so I had a full portfolio, a proper portfolio, and it was heavy. Yeah. And uh, for those who, well, you can't see me, but I've always been slightly colourful. 
in my attire and in my hair colour. <laughs> and my hair was sort of woven at oh, that oh, time. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I turned up at, uh, John, uh, no, who was my first appointment? It was Yves Saint Laurent was my first appointment. Oh, okay. And I turned up, I knocked on the door. I was really, really nervous. I had shaky hands and dry mouth. <laughs> and uh, I knocked on the door and this very, very almost um, doctor's surgery receptionist let me in and she didn't speak English and she basically chucked me out. Right. So it didn't go well. (laughs) First one, epic fail, (laughs) to say the least. And then um, I had, I think, three hours until my next one. Okay. Because... I didn't know how they were going to go and I didn't Yeah, know. you didn't want to do them too close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you also I, didn't know where they were. Yeah. <laughs> and I was also in a foreign country and I had to be back at the bus and each day the bus would meet me at like five o'clock to drive back to the hotel which was on the outskirts. Oh. Or I would go for dinner with the old ladies somewhere which had been <laughs> scheduled yeah. on, the, on their itinerary. So the next one was uh, Christian Lacroix and I thought, well, I'll walk near so that I can just um, eat my nicked breakfast, <laughs> lunch. I mean, I'd, I'd like to say I'm going to put this in. I've done that so many times. <laughs> where you make, like, chocolate spread yeah. sandwiches and... You <laughs> and a banana. Oh, my God, yeah. And, like, you know, you've got a cake. <laughs> got a cake in a bag. But it's free. Exactly. So I... Um, and I was, like, skin. Yeah, yeah. I was absolutely brass. I, I remember once I, I had... Uh, this was when I was uh, sort of travelling for a little bit and uh, I had no money at all and I bought these pineapple-flavoured digestive biscuits. And I, you know when you're really, really hungry? They were amazing. They were like pina colada biscuits. But I literally had no money at all and all I had for the entire day was this half packet of biscuits. And you know when you have a, <laughs> you have a biscuit and it just tastes so good because you literally have nothing else um yeah i feel like you appreciate those chocolate spread sandwiches you know well it's it 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 filled a hole yeah and also like some time so i sat and waited for my next appointment and um this car kept driving round, and um i i sort of after the third time this car driving around trying to suss out what i was doing right i sort of flicked the v's (laughs) <laughs> and had no like idea of who was in the car and then I walked to Christian Lacroix's studio and um, again sort of met the the receptionist and I said I've got an appointment well no one phoned and telephoned to say that it wasn't convenient yep. and, and then Christian Lacroix walked in mm. was he in the car? <laughs> and he basically said I just trying to work out what you've done to your hair <laughs> like and I was like well it's all sort of woven and then I was thinking I wanted to die because I had flicked in the V's and he was in front of me and I wanted the you know when you just want to heaven to like <laughs> open and just suck me up not only that I had sweaty palm dry mouth and sort of like Nutella yeah. sandwich spread Mouth. Uh, and he basically he was so lovely he just said come up and so oh let me come up and then bought all my portfolio wow and said dude I want to stay did I want to work freelance what did I you know and sort of gathered all the team round and was just incredible and so then I started working for um, Christian Lacroix and doing lots and lots of print and colour and trend projects for him. 
Wow, that's amazing. Just shows though, I've heard this one story before where this guy, um, he just graduated from uni and it's kind of similar to what you're saying and that he basically had no response from sending out his CV everywhere via email and then actually what he decided was he was going to print his CV because it was two pages in a billboard sort of setting, you know one of those A boards that you wear and he literally printed it in a big thing and just stood, I can't remember it, which station it was in London, but he basically just stood there at rush hour with his CV attached to his front and his back. And I just love the concept of the idea that you went all the way to Paris and you just thought, I am not gonna fail. And even if, for example, it didn't work out, you tried. And I think that actually, when you think outside the box like that, there's not many people. And that's probably why you let you up because there's not many people who would, maybe you'd think about doing those things, but maybe, that they wouldn't actually do those things. I think I'm really aware that no one's gonna come to you. Yes. And my mum always used to say, no one's gonna come and find you, you have to go out and find them. Yeah. And I think that's still really relevant today. Yeah, yeah, even though like there's, you know, internet and websites and yeah. you find the right people automatically and you don't have yeah. to write random letters and you don't have to go to Paris on a bus. And I was so desperate for my career to be beneficial and to do something that I love doing, mm. that I would do anything. So and this um, takes me on, I guess, to my next question, which is a bit of a follow-up from that, is that, uh, so the next question is, not your finest hour, what challenges have you faced along the way? And I love that almost that you turn these negatives, like giving the Vs to him, or even just, you know things that are a real challenge in your way and it seems like you're the type of person that almost sees it as a real like drive behind you would you say that that then was like a real progression towards the rest of your career because I'm aware we've only spoken about the first initial part of it really so um I was going between Paris and Red or Dead and I had uh commissions from like all different designers and like high street and I was actually m- making traction mm. and I was in Paris and I phoned my dad from a telephone box. Was this still all whilst working through your own company yeah. then? Nice. And uh, my dad, I basically phoned my dad and he said, um, your mum's just um, gone to the doctors and she's got a brain tumour. Oh my God, that's and awful. And she's, she's dying. She's got six months to live. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And so then I was like, shit. Yeah. Because you know, everything was just going. Yeah. And then it was all stopped. Yeah, yeah. So I came home and it was in the days before like Macmillan nurses. Or, yeah. You know, so we, my mum and I had gone uh, roller skating probably about a month before. Yeah. And we were going around and her arm was going up without her telling her arm to go up. Oh my God. And so she'd sort of been worried anyway. And Mm. I think I'd worried, but I hadn't sort of thought at that point in time that it would mean. Yeah. She was 48. Oh my God. I'm so sorry, that's awful. And so you go from like these sort of, you know, just everything's going right and in the right direction and then I, um, everything went wrong. Mm. And uh, so Puts everything into perspective as well, doesn't it, really? You know, um, actually, you realise, and I think during lockdown period as well, I personally have realised, I mean, you know, actually you realise that the, the, the things that are the most important in life are your health and your family and friends. And, you know, actually 
getting a no from someone just does not matter. And really what you're doing with your career really does not matter. And I think there's that freedom element to it as well. Um, but I'm really sorry to hear that. That's awful. Well, it's quite a long time ago now. Yeah. But, but it's, still, but you know. it's just when I think about what was my low. Yeah. That was my real low. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I haven't had a lower low than that. Yeah. And um, so I, I stayed at home. I worked from our kitchen, and my dad and I did it in turns to go to the studio and work because she couldn't be left alone. Mm. So we did, um, yeah, we did it in shifts. Mm. And uh, we drank a lot of gin, <laughs> Frankie Fraser and I. Aww. And we got through it. Yeah. And she died uh, on 3rd of February, 1995, and she was 48. Oh, my God, that's and so And I was awful. 22. Oh, my God, that's so awful. But then I thought... I played Nancy Sinatra, these boots are made for walking. <laughs> and I thought, she wouldn't want me to, you know, just give everything up. Mm. And so I decided to do my onslaught even better, even bigger. Yeah. And actually, the worst thing... A real fire that added to... The worst thing has already happened to me, so... Yeah. Nothing worse at that time could happen. So I was like... I was on fire. Yeah. I wrote to everyone. I wanted I wanted this more than anything. Mm. I wanted to make a mark on my own life, but also on, on lives of others, because I believe that everyone has a talent. Mm. Everyone. It's just finding what that talent is. Yeah. And um, I was really aware that um, I, that just that, I had so much more to do. Yeah. And if I'm just going to die at 48, then I want to make it bloody good. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, though, isn't it? Like like you say, I and truly what I love about you and whenever I've spoken to you is that you're so, someone who always sees a positive in a negative. I mean, when we sat down just then prior to the podcast talking about COVID and everything, there's not one time really where you had a string of negativity at all. Like you're, you always have like a positive spin on something. And even what you do now in terms of championing people who are younger, who are trying to work out what they want to do, you always, even when you're going to Australia for like two days or something, you always have time to help and support others. And I think that is a real positive part of who you are. You are Cause that's why- but I love it. Yeah. I love, I- I love, I really, I get such joy, real joy, out of just seeing other people succeed. Yeah. And I think that's really, you know, when you talk about what are the things that you, um, make you happiest, mm. it's actually when, when someone else really succeeds. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I think for me, even with If Not Now Then When, like I, I guess I kind of started the whole thing really to work out what the hell I wanted to do with myself and in a weird way it's kind of become something where I've realized that there's so many other people who feel the same way that I did on or still do in that actually not nobody knows where they're going to be in five years really because you don't don't know what's going to happen to you and I mean that is essentially what this question is all about because I think often the worst things that happen to you as truly awful as they may be they turn you you can sink or swim and I think sometimes truly awful things will send you down a path that maybe you never even dreamed that you'd end up going down and 
I guess from a more positive note, it takes me on to my next question, which is uh, now that you've got to this point, what's the most notable positive moment for you? And I think it'd be really interesting to know, actually, I mean, we haven't even got to the point of where you are now because your career is so uh, amazing, really, in terms of the things that you've done. But is there anything in your mind particularly that other than helping other people out that you, you know, an award maybe you've won or a piece of work that you've done or, you know, something that really sticks in your mind? Or even it could just be something really simple, uh, you know. So in 1996, I went to work at Pentland. And Ooh, that was yes. because Pentland <laughs> bought Red or Dead. Okay. And I came part of the acquisition. Which is amazing. Sort of full circle <laughs> to make it like... And um, Pentland's a family business, fourth generation family business. And um, they have been my family. Nice. And um, I've, I've just loved working there because the opportunity... <laughs> not only to grow as a person, to grow as a designer, but to also grow with the company and actually um, the just opportunity there is to actually change other people's lives and young people's Yeah, lives. yeah. I mean, if you explain what your actual job role so, is as well, because I feel like it's such an interesting one. Uh, so when I started there, I was working in their like agency okay. across all different brands. Yeah. And then... Um, in 2000, I was asked to help design their headquarters, okay. which is in Finchley in North London, and I did that. And then um, there was this whole thing about young talent, that we needed to get more young talent into our business. And it's that catch-22 because you can't get a job because you can't get experience. You can't oh get my experience God, I've been that person. <laughs> and um, also being from that I was that person too, yeah. but I'm ballsy, so I was able to go and sort of stand outside Wayne Hemingway's car. I mean, I got into my first job by going to a party and talking to someone and getting an email address. But can you imagine if you were a design genius, but you didn't actually, you never had a design education, or that you were quite um, introverted, Yeah, and not everyone... Are, not everyone is as cheeky, savvy and sociable as us. And then you're missing out on people because you're not... And often actually being a creative, if you really put it down to something, to study architecture is such a risk if you are not from a background where you have the financial backing to support you if you fail. And I think that often is quite a big thing. I mean, not even necessarily architecture, but just creative industries yeah. in general. And they're not easy having it's the ability i think to take a risk is actually a massive uh, if anyone has that ability to to flex or have the ability to take a risk you should take it because not everyone has that ability to take a risk i think that's because uh, a lot of people will lose their homes and their their family or anything uh, whereas i've always thought that i'm in a fortunate position where i can test something because i can always as much as my parents might not say i could always fail miserably and go and live with my parents for a couple of weeks or whatever if it, if it really goes to shit, you know <laughs> but um I, I don't know i think the ability to take a risk is so well i think the, the thing about pentland is that i started doing working across all different brands mm. and sort of learning about the skill of branding actually designing for a brand uh, consumer profiles and almost designing things that weren't my aesthetic mm. but are the brand's aesthetic yeah and then um then after doing the the headquarters which won the british council of offices award in 2003 we then set up design pool which is this talent pool um and you don't have to have university education 
you don't have to you know have studied anything but you mm. have to have the ability to um design or author our brand something that actually would be beneficial and in return you get paid and nice. you're on a youth contract <laughs> and you know you get to be you get to learn mm. you get to learn the craft you get to learn the skill and so I set it up in 2003 and we have had probably over probably over 200 designers now that have um, gone through I suppose the program it's not that it sounds like it's scripted program, but it's not because everyone has a different skill mm. and a different talent. And I believe that everyone has a talent. You've just got to find out what that is. Yeah. And if someone's so passionate about our brands, then how do you get them in? How do you? And there's so many brands under Pendant and well, umbrella. Exactly. And how um, do you capture their energy mm. and actually put that into you know like uh, as. Uh, how would you capture their energy and put that into our brands? So for anyone who's listening, what kind of brands are under the Pentland uh, so, umbrella? Speedo, LS, Berghaus, uh, Red or Dead, um, Mitre, Kickers, uh, Canterbury, Endura. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's quite a lot. So um, and some of them are so most of them are owned wholly, and then it's a joint venture with Lacoste Footwear. Kickers mm. in the UK, and uh, so Kickers Footwear in the UK, and um, yeah, it's it's a fourth generation family business, and <laughs> I feel very proud that I have had the opportunity to work there for uh, twenty five years now. <laughs> Um, so my next question for you, by the way, is then what? And I love the whole concept of no matter where you are in your career, you're kind of looking to the future because I think a lot of the time, uh, you know, maybe people do sort of plateau and they want to kind of just have a really chilled time. But I feel like most of the people that I've met that myself, I've kind of got aspirations for the future, but it's always so interesting when in my mind, you're top of your game, you know, you've done amazing things, but I would love to know kind of what you think is the next steps for yourself or even for Pentland Group as a whole. Um, so uh, my passion is seeing people succeed mm. and um, one of the things that I do is I'm a trustee at the National Saturday Club which is for uh, 12 to 16 year olds across the UK and um, on Saturdays <laughs> universities across the UK open up their establishments and learn at, well and teach um, I suppose our young people just to be creative yeah and that can be in anything and I love that when I see see their faces. We I've done I think seven masterclasses now, and uh, this does connect to my. No, program. no, 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 no. But this is my. So when I see, I I did a masterclass in Wolverhampton. Okay. And we did a kickers design a kickers shoe that you would want to wear. Okay. Project. So I we, feel like I would want to do that. So, <laughs> When you're from, I think, an estate in Wolverhampton, your parents have had nothing to do with creative industries. Yeah. You are, how do you know that you can design a shoe and that you can actually do that? Mm. And that that could be your job. And yeah. Something that, and what I love 
when I'm doing a masterclass or working with the National Saturday Club or any of the young designers is actually when the penny drops that this that is their creation yeah and that someone is able to wear that and you're able to do that job mm. and I feel so privileged that I can see our brands our work on the street every day and I feel very proud in that mm. so when someone that didn't even realize that they could do a job in the creative industries and maybe one day work for me yeah then that gives me great pleasure yeah. and it's their joy and when I see the penny drop in their eyes and when we have new designers and even like just the the whole development of someone's career and even if they leave us to go to a competitor or to someone else the hope is that they'll go on and learn and then maybe one day come back or you know just stay in touch I think you always remember your your mentors I mean for me even uh, some of some of the people that have been part of like the journey to where I've got to I mean not that I'm anywhere near where you are or anything but for me I, I like those people probably don't even realize actually how much they've helped me and I just think those are the people that I would hold in high regard forever um and I think people you know there's so many people who will remember those moments because I remember when I knew that I wanted to be a designer I remember the moment and there'll be so many people even if they don't end up being in design they'll remember those things and I think that's so nice as well and I, I, I that's the bit that gives me great pleasure and yeah. I think going through COVID and the graduates that are leaving now, I want to help support them. I want to make sure that they're, because they're, it will change mm. and this will change. And we will need more young people, more people that are doing great technology, people that are agile, people that are actually thinking about things completely different, greener, more sustainable. Mm. So all of that, I need to find these people. And yeah. I need, and, and businesses will need them. Mm. I think the uncertainty at the moment and just the whole the whole crock of <laughs> shit <laughs> Go that's for happening. It. Yeah. It will change. Yeah. And I suppose for me it's making sure that I keep my eye on the ball, make sure that I am still seeking out that talent mm. that as soon as we're ready to onboard them and that if I can help them or mentor them or make sure that they have a job or you know if there's anything I can do to help people just get their first little taste of a career mm. because not everyone's lucky to have a Frankie Fraser a dad as a graphic designer that's able to no. sort of yeah. enable that and yeah. help them and I think at this point in time there's such anxiety about where things are going to go and what's going to what's going to happen and the uncertainty as we know daily is so it changes every day yeah i mean i feel like i've been a different person every month for the past 6 months so, <laughs> well exactly so i just want to make i just for me the next bit is actually keep staying strong mm -hmm. keeping my nerve yeah making sure that uh we tread water in a way that actually doesn't disable anyone, you know, coming to work for us, mm. but, but actually enables them. And if there's anything that I can do to enable someone just to get that first, like, job or yeah. freelance or something, or 
that's the bit that I think because I'm so. I'm oh my worried. god, Katie, you're amazing. <laughs> well, I'm worried that people aren't going to get that opportunity. Yeah. And then, you know, in terms of learning, development, and actually just getting that that foot in the door. Mm. Because if you don't break that foot in the door, the first gear that you leave, then it's very, it's very hard that you'll give up. Yes. Because that whole belief in yourself and also because then you've got a blank on your CV where someone else maybe doesn't, which I think is quite, um, which I guess leads me on to my final question for you, um, which is when you look back, what's the best piece of advice you've received or a mantra that you live by or or something that actually you like to pass on to these people that you're talking to? So I've got three pieces of advice. Okay. um, And... A boss that I had for a long time at Pentland gave me this one. Okay. And she said, never write love letters. And by that she means, if you can pick up the phone and say it, if it takes longer to write it, mm-hmm. than to pick up the phone and say it, pick up the phone. Because when you write an email, it can be misinterpreted. And it's so much easier just to phone someone up and yeah. hear the voice. Yeah. And hear the sincerity of the message. Yeah. So that's my first one. My second one, and I tell all my team this, is that if there's a problem, find the solution before you bring up the, the problem. Mm, so, okay. and I also say this to my husband. Okay. <laughs> don't come with me with problems. What's the solution? Because nice. if you can't solve it, then what's the answer? What is the answer to it? Mm. And I think solutions what is the solution to a problem yeah don't just give it to someone if you can solve it before you bring it to them yeah then how much more are you helping the situation also i think you learn a lot from those things as well i mean for me doing a podcast i didn't know how to plug in a microphone and genuinely i was on youtube (laughs) checking it out for about five hours (laughs) but you solved it yeah, and I know now how to plug in a microphone, you know. Um, and I probably wouldn't if I passed it on to someone else. I mean, obviously it's quite simple, but, uh, but I'm just I, a bit I foolish. But I think people, most people, I think 99% of people actually love helping people. Mm. And if you ask them a question, they'll answer. Yeah. And you'd, I'd rather <laughs> someone ask me the question or have a good question for me than sort of go on on their way and it be wrong. Yes, you know, so ask questions. Yeah. So I'm going to have four pieces. Of okay, okay. My fine. final yeah. one, and then I'll go on to my mantra. Okay. My final one is always be humble and kind. I love it. And then my mantra is more is more, less is bore. <laughs> this is exactly what she was saying about her tiling, by the way, just to put it into context. <laughs> you know what? I got one today, which uh, I, I actually really love. Is I was listening to a uh, Beyonce track, and it was, um, oh my God, it was so sassy. Um, you know, sometimes when you're walking down the street and you're feeling in one of those moods, uh, it's uh, keep on running because a um, a winner doesn't quit on themselves, which I absolutely loved. That's um, true. Yeah. So uh, just to kind of summarise, to be totally honest, I feel like I could talk to you forever and uh, I would love to do like a round two or something because what you do is amazing and your career in general has inspired me and having you as a speaker at one of my events and having you on the podcast for me is incredible. Um, Thanks, Rachel. It's all right, love. (laughs) Um, But yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. It's all right. massive heartfelt thank you to the remarkable Katie Greenier for being so open and so humble. 
She's the kind of individual who will enter a room and just light it up. She'll make everyone around her feel as though they're important and her energy is just truly infectious to be around. And hand on heart, I really do have to say that anyone who has spent time with her presence is lucky. And I'm in awe of everything that she's achieved and also her outlook too. If you'd like to learn more about Pentland Brands, you can do via pentlandbrands.com or their Instagram, which is simply Pentland Brands. Also, the National Saturday Club is the charity of choice for this podcast, and you can join by completing their online form via their website, which is saturday-club.org, or you can learn more via their Instagram, which is natsatclub. Finally, this year might not have started too well, but if not now, then when aims to support and uplift creatives. So feel free to visit the website at innTw.co.uk or the Instagram, which is if not now then underscore when for more information. And again, every single time, Unicat Music, you're amazing for transforming this podcast with your track Cosmos. If anyone would like to hear more from them or follow them, you can listen to their music via Spotify or their Instagram at unicat.music. Finally, keep an eye out for the next episode, which is launching on the 6th of April with Andrea Naito of Adidas in Portland, USA, where we discuss looking to the future. Thanks again for listening.